0: The end of this journey. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I know there are various reasons for that. Uh, these, this book sits different than all other books of the scripture, really. It stands alone in some ways. It's in the under in our understanding, it's a part of the books of wisdom. You know, Proverbs and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. They sit as uh opportunities for us to understand God's wisdom. It's different from Proverbs and Song of Solomon even. It stands alone because it takes not a positive outlook, but it takes a very worldly look at what we can see and experience under the sun. And I know that phrase is hopefully seared in your heart and mind in such a way that If someone one day says, I don't even know what Ecclesiastes is about, you might say, well, I don't know what it's about, but one thing I know is it's under the sun. And, like, there's something greater than what it's displaying to us. It's displaying to us what we can only know in this life through our physical senses, through our experiences. But there's something greater, praise God, and it's above the sun. We all go through life seeing the injustice of the life that we live. And let's be honest for just a moment. It's not the injustice out there that bothers us the most if we're believers. It's the injustice in here. I believe one of the reasons I don't like Ecclesiastes, and maybe you don't like Ecclesiastes, is we aren't aren't looking out there at all the bad folks and all the bad situations, but by the power of the Spirit, we're looking in our own hearts and minds saying, there's a lot of under the sun in my life. There's a lot of injustices in my life. Not those done to me, but those I'm doing to those around me. And we're troubled by it. This morning, um, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 11. And you notice the title. We've last week talked about chance, and this week we talk about risk. In a church that's steeped in the sovereignty of God, we're using terms like chance and risk. Isn't that great? The writer says, Cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child So, you do not know the works of God who makes everything. If we were in Psalms, the writer would have said, Selah, pause, praise. Just like you don't know how a baby gains the life of the Spirit from the hand of God and bones which harden. So you don't know what God is doing in everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This passage brings to us something that I think is so needed in our lives today. And what it brings to us is the word that you and I do not control the outcomes of our lives. But rather than freezing immobly staring at the chances and possibilities and the maybes, and the shouldas, and the couldas. Because God is sovereign, we continue to move forward in faith. You don't control the outcome of your life. I don't control the outcome of my life. And so that can cause paralysis of analysis. Amen? Some of you are married to paralysis of analysis. You have a name for it. It's your husband or wife. Because every time a junction in the road comes where we could go right or we could go left or we could go forward, your spouse wants to analyze every single detail to the finest points and even then they're not satisfied. There's always a what if. There's always a we might fail. There's always a I can't control the future. And so what it does for some of us Folks, listen to me, us biblical sovereign folks who believe that God is in control, we start to behave like God is not in control. And our writer wants us to hear loud and clear. Do you know how God gives life to a baby in the womb and makes its bones hard so that it comes out and is able to live a life? Do you understand that? Well, just like you don't understand that, you have no chance of knowing what God's doing in everything. So when you come to the crossroad, our writer says, take a risk. I hear figuratively the gasps. <gasps> but we, we're commanded to be wise. But our writer says risk is wise. Look what he says in the first verse. There's a background to this. Solomon, when he was the king, Solomon put grain, which was raised in Israel, oats and wheat, on vessels of ships and sent it across the sea. And the Bible says that that grain disappeared on the seas. Some of you know how long it took. Three years to get a return. He sent it out and for three years, no payday. You know what's even worse than that? Can you imagine waiting three days to get paid for the labor you did three years ago? Wait, three days. Three years to wait for the labor to be paid off, which you labored three years before. You know how painful that is? Like, I don't want to wait till the end of the month or two weeks, right? That's what you're thinking. But Solomon knew the only way that this grain will gain for our empire is that it be sent to the other villages and people of the world. So that they buy it in the market and then the merchants bring back our portion. That's the only way. We can keep it all in Israel and we'll have a lot of bread, but we'll be poor. So send it out on the waters and in many days it will come back a great return. Now he's using that, our writer is, in another way. But let me just say, one of the simple tendencies of our heart is to be hoarders. It's to keep all you can. Can all you get, and some of you of my generation before, was it then? Sit on the can. That's a depression-era statement. It's a little before my time, believe it or not. But it's a famous little jingle. Get all you can. Work hard. Keep all you get. Sit on the can. Some of you have grandparents. Go home and talk to them about it they will tell you about either themselves or their grandparents burying money. Literally, scared to put it in a bank. Stuffing it under mattresses. Keep all you can. Like days are coming when you won't know what's coming and you will lose. And when you lose, you've got to have what you made in the past. And what Solomon's saying in his wisdom, what, what the writer's saying in his wisdom is, if you keep it, it will never bring you any gain. Now he's talking business, but he then shifts to the next line. Give to seven, yea, even to eight. This is a Hebrew ism. Give to X plus X, give a little more. Because if you give, he says, he says, if you give, you control the future. Is that what the line says in verse two? Give to seven, even eight, because you'll control your future that way. No, look at his reasoning. For you know not what comes. Disaster on the earth is coming, so give it away. See, the first part, some of our commentators would want to talk about the economics of that, and, and I understand it, but what the writer's trying to do masterfully is say in a world where you control nothing, the best thing you can do is give. Give it away. Give it away. Generosity will gain. Hoarding will always lose. God has worked it this way. Some of the Puritans taught us this very thing. John Wesley, uh, later in his life, was questioned by the crown about his turning in tax money on his silver. They could not believe in, in the magistrate that any man of his means only had one silver plate one silver cup, one silver spoon. They couldn't believe it. Nobody. He came from wealth. He's the most popular pastor in his day. How can he have this? And his whole life was built around this principle. What little I can live on, I will live on, and all the rest will be given away. And he knew I don't control any of the outcomes. Disaster can still strike me as it does you. but God has commanded it, and I will do it, and trust him in it. Why? Because I don't even know how babies are born. I don't understand how God gives life to children, and I know not what he does in anything that he does in the end. Generosity is the first thing this passage points us to, generosity. Secondly, it points us to diligence. It points us to diligence. Look at what it says in verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls on the south to the north, we don't know which. Wherever it falls, it's going to be there. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Here's the picture he's drawing. I have trees behind my house. I have one in particular that I love. It's a maple, and it's now starting to turn to that beautiful color of the fall. But here's what I know it is dead and dying. It's hollowing out on the inside. It's going to fall. What would you think of me if every day I just went out there, popped a lawn chair and a cup of water, and sat and watched it? And you would come and you would say, Hey, Carlton, it's like 11 in the morning. Why are you sitting in a lawn chair? It's Monday, man. What are you doing? I'm watching this tree. Why are you watching a tree? Well, I don't know how it's going to fall. I mean, it could fall that direction. That'd be in my yard. That's, it could fall this direction. That'd be in my living room. You know what the writer says? It's going to fall north or south, and when it hits, it's going to lay there. So what's his solution? Don't worry about the wind. So. Don't worry about the rain that might be coming today. Read. Be diligent. Keep moving. You don't control it. This is the perfect plug for you, Chad. Or call Chad Kramer and let him make it fall where it falls. (laughs) And if it doesn't, what? Chad, you have insurance, right? It'll it'll cover. You see what I'm saying? He's using very common sense words here, and we want to make them really complicated, but they're really simple. In this life, you control nothing. Can I say it again? Western minds hear me while I speak. You control nothing. God controls everything. So be generous and be diligent. Keep going. The tree's going to fall. And guess what? When it falls, you don't have to be in a lawn chair because when it lands, it'll be there when you get home. The wind's blowing. Don't fix another cup of coffee, farmer, and sit inside and don't sow the seed because it might blow all over the place and not land exactly where you want it to land. Just go sow seed because you'll have no harvest if you don't. And if you go to harvest and it looks like it's going to rain and it's early in the day, just go pick what you can because it's going to rain. If it's going to rain, there's nothing you can do about it. So he comes to the purpose statement, I think, of the whole chapter in verse 5. And I've repeated it several times. But this mystery of birth and human life is his grand analogy of this point. Wise risk. You don't know how a baby comes to life. And as much as you don't know about the spirit of that life, you don't know anything about the other things that God is doing. No matter how smart you think you are. No matter how much you think you can control. And now we get the results of living a life of wise risk. That's the end of the chapter. That's what he does going forward. He says in verse 7 that there is great joy in the basic necessities of this life. Light is pleasant to the eye. Light is sweet. Your eyes see the pleasantness of the sun. There is a sweetness, you know it when you live in the simple truths that are being pointed here. Listener, you can't control it, but instead of freezing in immobility, you push out in risk knowing you risk it. Because in the end, the only way to gain is to give. The only way to gain is to be productive and continue to work. It's the only way. Shrinking back will gain us nothing. Hoarding will gain us nothing. Light is sweet and it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. Secondly, he says, rejoice in all your days. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Don't just rejoice when it feels like a time of rejoicing, in other words. Rejoice even when it feels like a time of sadness. Rejoice in the weeping and weep in the joyfulness. It's the same. Keep pressing forward. Trust God in this life with the common, everyday pleasures that come your way and the hardships, knowing that life itself is a joyful thing. But as you're doing that, having real joy, remember there's darkness. There's dark days coming. They'll outnumber the good days. That's the second thing. Third thing is enjoy your youth. Knowing the judge will still judge you at the end. You parents are glad I put the last tag in there, right? Enjoy your youth. Some of you are so busy being serious about life at a young age that you're actually hating your life. And the writer's saying, enjoy your life. You can be as serious as you want to be. You can work and work and work until your fingers are frazzled to a bone. You can stay up night and day and night and day. And calamity still strikes and you still suffer loss. And what was the gain of it except you lost the joy of your life? Rather, enjoy your life. Enjoy your young years. Not in some frivolous, hedonistic pursuit, but in what God's given you to do in your youth. You have energy right now you don't even understand, young people. Don't waste it being so morose and angry at life, the writer would say. you got energy. If you're going to stay up till midnight anyway, do it singing and laughing and enjoying one another's fellowship, working to find meaning in God through your work. Eat the meal to the glory of God. Enjoy your life. Rejoice in your youth. God will judge you in the end. God will judge you in the end. And finally, he says, remove the pain and the frustration of this life. Because all of it is a puff of smoke. Youth is a puff of smoke. You know, I think about there are so many things I could have said today, and yet I want to say this for sure about this point. Some of you are to a point in your life where our our world has told you you're on the shelf. You're 65, whatever, and, you know, it's your time to kind of go out to pasture and let all the young folks take over. I just want to say that that's not a biblical perspective. You will add frustration to your life if you live that way. In your end of life years, you will add frustration and pain to yourself living that way. That doesn't mean you can't retire from your secular pursuit, whatever God's had you doing the last 20, 30, 40 years. But it does mean don't collect seashells at the end of your last decade of life. Right? It will only add pain. It will only add frustration. The writer is saying this puff of smoke that's here and gone, Man, it's a great ride. Have joy in the pain and the and the happiness. Work hard. Be generous. Give yourself away. Because if you try to hoard for yourself, you will lose. You will lose. Jesus taught the same thing in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 25, one of his most famous and perplexing sermons, he said, there was a man who gave to his servant five talents, and to another four, and to another one. And he went on a long trip, and he told them to be good stewards over what he gave them. And when he returned, he settled accounts. He judged them. The one that had five, it became what? Say it. Ten. Ten. The one four became eight. And the one was still one. Why was the one still one? We focused on five and four. Why was the one still one? Jesus said, why have you been an unfaithful servant and not invested what I gave you? And the man said, because I knew you were hard. And that you had done many things in this life that had hurt other people. And I was afraid that if I took it and tried to use it, I would lose it. So he got all that God gave him. He kept all that God gave him. And he sat on the can. And Jesus said at the end of the parable, you ungodly, unrighteous sir. And he took the one and gave it to the five. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Some of us are using our life that way. And Ecclesiastes 11 is saying, take risks. Now, live generously. Work hard. Enjoy what you do. It's here and gone. You don't control it anyway. And remember this that the pain and the frustration of your life is only increased if you lose this principle in your life. It's only increased. I want to end, believe it or not, with this. I know, shortest sermon ever. But sometimes you just say what you need to say. You say what the text says. I want to talk as a pastor with you for a minute. Last week, you got hard news. Adam let you know what he had let us know the week before, and that is that he felt that God was moving him and his family to another ministry. And you've invested a lot in Adam. (laughs) He knows that. And Adam has invested so much in you. And it hurts. And this week, some of you have come to visit with him, and you've expressed your heart. And believe me when I tell you, and anybody around the office that's been with him this week can tell you, it it has laid heavy on him. But this is what I want you to hear from this sermon. There is a temptation in this moment to say, well, if this is what was going to happen, we should have never had Adam here because two and a half years is not very long. And there's a temptation for Adam and Laura to say, well, if this was all there was ever going to be, we should have just stayed where we were. And what I want to encourage you to is that both sides took a great risk. And we don't control the outcomes, but we embrace the joy of what we have had together. And we celebrate life because we don't control it. And we know that the investment, the giving, the generosity is the right thing to do. You can't hoard your heart from those that should love you. And you can't not love people because it's going to hurt if something happens in the future. You love them with everything you've got for as long as you have them. It's right to do, church. It's what makes you special as a church. I'm so thankful for you. Adam is so thankful for you. Listen, you wouldn't be Grace Fellowship if you did it any other way. So please, in this moment of our history together, don't draw back and become hoarders. You've got a few more weeks with Adam here on staff. Express your heart to him. Tell him your hurts but grab him around the neck and look him in the eye and tell him how much you love him because it's here and it's gone. And trust our God who brought Adam here to know that he will bring us what we need and we will invest just the same. Grace Fellowship, what I'm telling you to end this is cast your bread on the water as foolish as it seems to the world because in many days it will bring a great return. Don't just give to seven, give to eight because calamity's coming. Work hard. Don't sit and watch trees fall down and contemplate north or south because when it hits, it will be there when you get there. Do you understand how babies have life? how God gives them bones in the womb, you don't understand anything our God is doing, really. So enjoy your youth, knowing God will judge. And don't avoid pain and frustration by hoarding, but give. Give and give and give because it's a puff of smoke, this life we live. I pray that's what we do. From now until our king comes again, I pray we never shrink back. There's right risks to take in your personal life, in your home life, in this church life, in our community life. I'm going to leave that to home groups. I just open it all up, lay it out there. There's a mess on the table. Y'all have fun talking about it. I love you. Our elders love you. All of our staff love you. And you love us. And that is worth it all. That's worth the investment. Let's don't ever shrink back from that. Let's pray together. Father, as we close this time in your word, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your gifts. Knowing, Lord, that there's nothing that we really control. You are in control of it all. So rather than being paralyzed in indecision and over-analysis, let us take great risks. Let us press out in this journey for your glory for your name we pray these things amen thank you for being